You're listening to a message from South Hills Church in Burbank, California. For more information about South Hills, check out SouthHillsBurbank.com. excited about this series because this series that we're going to kick off today, uh, we kicked it off last night actually, uh, this weekend, but uh, this series is a series that is just near and dear to the heartbeat of our church. This is what we are all about as a campus. Um, And so we're going to be talking through this idea of loving where you live and how do we learn as people to love where we live, right where we live, instead of always wishing for the next thing, instead of always looking out for what's hopefully coming down the pike. Or instead of looking back at how good it used to be back in that other place that we lived. Instead, realizing that maybe for some of us, as difficult as it may be to hear, God may have you right where you are, as uncomfortable as it is, as painful of an experience as it might be, as awkward as you might feel at times. God may have you right where you are for a purpose. And too often, we're not looking at where we are to love where we are. We're looking at what's next and what's behind And we miss an opportunity. We miss a huge opportunity to be a part of something that God is doing right now. And so I want to challenge some of you. Some of you are going to be challenged today. Some of you, uh, you're going to be encouraged. Hopefully, we're all encouraged and challenged at the same time. But that's my hope as we walk through this series. And so um, if you want to take some notes, take pictures of the screen, whatever you would like, please feel free to dial in with that. Um, Just follow along with us this morning, and we're going to talk through um, what we're what this series is really all about today we're going to talk about this idea of committing to a community how do we commit to a community how do we say this is my place and this is where I want to be and I'm going to stay right where I am for as long as God has me here now some of you know our story my story our family's story some of you uh, you're relatively new to South Hills and so uh, you don't know our story and if today's your first time ever being here we've never met so you probably don't know my story either so I'm just going to get us all caught up on a little bit of my story and how it relates to what we're talking about today. Um, Several years ago, uh, five years ago, our family moved here. We just celebrated uh, the beginning of August, our fifth year anniversary of living in Burbank. Prior to that, we were in Arizona, born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. We've uh, pastored in some different churches, and we were in Arizona for a number of years. We loved where we lived in Arizona. I'll just be totally honest with that. We didn't mind the heat. We could live with that. Um, But we loved where we were because... We got into an area, really a young community, uh, early on when uh, the, cri- the housing crisis happened, and the housing crisis had hit its absolute bottom. And so, unfortunately, a lot of people were losing homes and, and upside down, and it was, it was a really ugly, ugly time. But for people who made money on their previous home and sold it in Ohio and moved to Arizona... We were able to buy our dream house. We were able to buy the biggest house that we've ever thought we would ever own, all redone, remodeled, beautiful space, beautiful yard. We had a great job. We had a great location. We we loved where we lived, and we had more than we ever thought we would. And I won't even tell you the price of the house, because some of you, you will leave the church right now. (laughs) You'll be angry. You'll just go hit something. Like, it was, it was obscene of how cheap this house was and how big it was for the money. It was unbelievable. So we loved where we lived. And, and at, a, at one point in time, things just weren't happening the way we thought they were going to happen in Arizona. And, and, and we knew it was time for us to step away from that church. And so we got into a conversation with Pastor Chris Songson. He's the lead pastor of South Hills. And he said, hey, Dave, um, we've never met before, but we know so-and-so, a close friend of both of us. 
He said, hey, I've heard a lot about you. Um, I, I would love for you to come and consider planting a church in Burbank. And I said, hey, um, first of all, no, I don't want to plant church. And then two, where the heck is Burbank? Because I don't even know where you're talking about. And he's like, well, um, and he's trying to tell me about Burbank, but he didn't really know anything about Burbank either. So he's trying to tell me about it. You know, it's like it's right by Hollywood. And if you know Chris, he's all excited about celebrities. And, and, you know, you'll see celebrities every day, and you'll probably have a church full of celebrities. It's going to be amazing. And, and I'm like, okay, whatever. And then uh, he said, hey, for, if nothing else, can I just bring you and your wife out here for a vacation? Just consider it a vacation. And we'll, we'll hang out. We'll talk church a little bit. But we'll just kind of drive around Southern California. We'll go to the beach together. And I'm like, well, okay, you got me there. So I'll take a free vacation. <laughs> so we came out. We checked things out. We drove up to Burbank from Corona. We looked at the building. It was old, dated, 1985. It was trapped in a time warp. And uh, it was gross. But we saw past that. And so as we were here and as we started to kind of experience the community, we felt like, man, this, this is probably what God wants us to do. And so we, we kind of had a conversation, we prayed about it, and we knew that this is where we should, we should come. So shortly after that conversation, we uprooted our family from the place that we love to live to a place that we've never been to, that we've never heard of, where we literally knew not one person. When we rolled into our house, we did not know one person in the entire city. There was no friendship. There was no connection at all. We had keys to a church that was dead, that was in shambles, and that was it. So I had a job, but we had no people. And so we, we got here, and, and shortly after we got here, we started to feel these moments of, of feeling uprooted and, and, and had to replant ourselves. And, and it was, there were moments where we had some tearful conversations at home between Carrie and I of just feeling helpless and, and feeling really strange in where we now were in this place and how are we going to work this out. And, and there was some awkwardness in it. There was definitely some terrifying moments early on of, of what, are, what are we even doing here and how is this going to work and I don't even know if this is going to happen. And, and for us, it would have been extremely easy in that moment to say, you know what, we loved where we used to live. And this can't be where God has us. It would have been so easy for us to look back and, spoiler alert, it all worked out. Okay, so just so you know. Everything ended up working out okay for us. But it happens to a lot of us. And it happens to a lot of us a lot of the time and in multiple ways. It's not always location. It could be career. It could be with your family. It could be in relationships. It could be in a lot of different areas where we feel uprooted. We feel uh, awkward. We feel uncomfortable. We feel helpless. And what we do is we find ourselves looking back at how good it used to be or we convince ourselves that the place that we are cannot be the place God has us. Therefore, he must have something better. So we hold on to a promise that something better is coming. Now, to me, this is like the California story. Many of you, uh, you, you, you were born here. You're Burbankian to the core of your being. You are 30-plus years removed from high school, yet you still hate the rival high school. That's how Burbankian you are. <laughs> and I get it, okay? I understand I understand how much you hate them, and they're terrible at everything that they do, and you're better. I get it. But a lot of us came to this city. We came to this area in search of something better or at least something different. We wanted something more than what we had, and we came here looking for something. And maybe this morning you find yourself in a place where you feel uncomfortable where you are because the place that you are doesn't feel like the place that God could have you. It's It's uncomfortable. It's a little awkward. You feel uprooted. You feel like you have to completely replant yourself. And you find yourself in moments looking back at how good it used to be 
or looking ahead at what God probably has for you next, because this can't be it. And I want to challenge you this morning in a couple areas. I want to challenge you to think differently about what you might think God has promised you. See, what I've realized is that when we move into a new place, a lot of us, or all of us, we, we immediately start to look for certain things. We, we immediately start to look for a mechanic. Like, we just want to find a good, honest mechanic, so we start asking around, and everybody you meet, you ask them who their mechanic is, and you want to find a good one. You need to find doctors, especially if you have kids. You're trying to find doctors and dentists and all that stuff. You want to find, like, your restaurant. Like, what is the place that you want to frequent? They have the best food, and so you ask around. You start trying to find that place. You want a, a great coffee shop that you can go to that's, that's kind of hipster, but not like the hipster, hipster because you're not all the way hipster, so you want to kind of <laughs> dial it back a little bit, but you kind of like the hipster thing, but not too much. You know what I'm saying. And so you want that. You're trying to find that. You're trying to find the nearest Costco and then you're trying to find the nearest Trader Joe's, and you're trying to find the best donut shop, and you're looking for all these things that you want to find. And oftentimes what we do is we leave out the place for connection. We look for all the place that can offer us services, but we don't look for the place of connection. Some of you, when you moved to this area, you, you had church high on your list, and you were like, I'm going to find a church. I'm going to look around for a church. And you looked for years. The conversations that I've had with many of you, you've looked for churches for years. And you had a hard time finding a place where you felt connected. Some of you, church was not on the list at all because this is like your first church. And so you're like, I didn't even know I needed this. And so we all do this. We all look for certain things. We all try to find certain things. But most of us live our lives in a place of one foot in the here and now and one foot in the waiting on what's going to come better. Or one foot in the here and now and one foot in the, the way it used to be better back then. And we do this in so many different areas of our lives. Again, in our careers, our relationships, our cars, our homes, our churches, our cities, even in our own personal health. And what we can do is we can begin to believe that everyone else, everywhere else, has it better than you do. Because it's easy. It's so easy for us to romanticize a life that you're currently not living. You think it's going to be better. You assume it's going to be better. And everybody else has it better than you because the grass is always greener on their side. And so we've convinced ourselves that it's always better. It's always greener. And everybody else has it better than us everywhere else because it can't possibly, this place that I am in can't possibly be the place that God wants me to be. This just simply can't be it. And so we have all kinds of reasons and all kinds of excuses. Sometimes they're surfacey reasons. Sometimes they're, they're spiritual reasons. Sometimes we convince ourselves that surface reasons are spiritual reasons just so we can try to get out of things. And we don't realize oftentimes that in any given moment in life, we are in this place of a glimpse of what used to be, the glimpse of how great it used to be back there, and then this kind of hazy, foggy image of what we hope tomorrow would be like. And what we do is we find ourselves in these places where we're looking back and we're looking forward and we're not living in the here and now. We're simply not in this place that we should be wherever it is that we currently find ourselves in. And so for many of us, especially if you're a believer, especially if you consider yourself a Christ follower, you, you cling to this promise that, that God has a reason, that he has something better for you, that he has a plan for you. And if you aren't a church person, if you're here and you're not really into this whole thing, you're not a Christian, you're just here for whatever reason, you probably still hope that there's a greater purpose behind where, the pain that you find yourself in. 
I think it's natural for us just that if you're a Christian, you've held on to a certain verse. There's a verse in, in the Bible that, that oftentimes gets taken way out of context. And what we've done is we've turned it into, uh, we've turned it into a verse that we love to read. We love to write it down. We love to, to put it on something, put it on our fridge. We like to take pictures of it and create stuff for Instagram. We like to make everything at Hobby Lobby with this verse on it. It's just what we do. It's, it's the type of people that we are. And this is God's verse about plans. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. I want you to listen to this if you've never heard it before. It's in a little bit different translation than maybe what you're familiar with. But God is telling his people, he's speaking to his, his people, the Israelites, through the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah writes this down for them. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Man, we love that. Man, I love that God has a plan for me. I love that God wants my best. He wants my welfare, that they're not evil plans. He wants to give me a future and a hope, something to look forward to. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you, that God hears us when we pray. We love this, these verses, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And so when we come to God and we bear our entire soul and we seek him with all of our heart, God says, you will, you will find me. And we love this. And then we love verse 14. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes. And some of you are like, I've never had fortunes, Dave. And he's going to give you fortunes that you've never even had before. And then the one that you did have that you lost when you got married and you had kids and you no longer have that fortune, he's going to restore that whole thing back to you. And so for us, we look at this verse and we think, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. That God has a plan he has my best in mind. There's a hope and a future. He's going to restore my fortune that I never had. He's going to give me all this blessing. He hears me when I approach him. He answers my prayers. We love this. And we could stand on these promises because they're incredible. But these promises are coming on the heels of something else. And too often, we don't take the time to read in Scripture what's happened in the 10 verses prior. You see, because God is speaking to his people, the Israelites, and he's going to use his mouthpiece, the prophet Jeremiah, to speak to them. Because the, the Israelites find themselves in a place that they never wanted to be. They, they are living in a land that is awkward, that is uncomfortable, that the place that they are could not possibly be the place that God wants them to be. And the, the Israelites are living in a place with one foot in the past at how good it used to be, and one foot in the future of I can't wait for God's plan to unfold because this is not his plan. So the 10 verses prior set something up that you and I just simply have to understand. And when you and I find ourselves in new, awkward, uncomfortable, murky places, that maybe, just maybe, God's at work and we just aren't dialed in enough to see it. So you have to understand, Jeremiah, in this moment, he is the prophet of God. He is the, the person that everybody would respect and listen to, that when he spoke from, from God, that they would dial in and listen. It's during the reign of, of King Jehoiakim, who is, who is not a great king. During this period of Israel's history, they had good kings and bad kings, and, and, and not all of them were doing things the way God wanted them to do them, and he's one in particular who did not. 
He's basically going to hand the keys of the kingdom over to the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. You might have heard his name before. King Nebuchadnezzar is the ruler of the greatest empire in the world at this time. Babylon is going to roll in, and they are becoming the, on their, they're coming onto the scene and taking over the, so much of the world. And they're getting ready to take over this piece of land. And King Jehoiakim is going to basically give it all up. And when he does, what happens is, is a lot of the people in their land are going to be taken off into captivity. They're going to be sent back as slaves to Babylon. Or they're going to be sent to be indoctrinated with Babylonian thoughts and ideologies. Babylon was a brilliant empire because they would take the best of the best. They would take the best looking, the smartest, and they would ship them back to Babylon. They would indoctrinate them with their customs and their thoughts and their rules, and they would release them back into the world to lead on their behalf. And so they were geniuses. This is the time period. This is the beginning of the time period where you have Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. That They're all going to be taken into captivity. This is the beginning of that time period. This is like Daniel in the lion's den kind of moments, great Bible stories that are happening. But this is the very beginning. And what we do is we find ourselves in a place where Israel is not in the place that they want to be. They're not in a land that they would want to be at, that this could not possibly be God's plan for them. And so as the head prophet, as the mouthpiece of God, Jeremiah is going to write them a letter. He's going to write to them some letters, some books, some ideas that they need to understand, that they need to hear from God. Because there's some other people that have started to come onto the scene. There's some false prophets who have begun to tell God's people that, that this is temporary. This is going to be over in a minute. That you're just going to go into slavery, and then God's going to free you. It's all going to be all good. Don't worry about it. Just, just wait until you get back to Jerusalem. But that was not God's plan. You see, this was not going to be a short-term solution. And God's hand was at work in the situation that they found themselves in. And so what's going to happen is Jeremiah is going to have to say some very difficult words to God's people. He's going to tell them to stop listening to the false prophets, that what they're saying are lies, and that God is a part of this exile. God is a part of you becoming a slave again. And in this culture, just think about it for a moment, in this culture, land was a big deal. This was, they were living on the promised land. When you, when you go back in the Old Testament, the days of Moses, when they were coming out of Egypt and they were enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years, God is going to lead Moses and his people to the promised land, the land that is, quote, unquote, flowing with milk and honey. In other words, it has everything that you need to survive. It has everything in abundance for you. And so where Israel's located was considered the promised land. This was God's land for his people. God created it for his people by design so his people would always have everything they need. So how could it be part of God's plan that we would no longer be living in the promised land? How could it be part of God's plan that we would live anywhere other than the place that he created for us? So Jeremiah has to tell them God's plan. And so in verse 4 through 7, just before the amazing Jeremiah 29, 11, we get to hear from God of what God's real plan is. So God is going to speak into this exile, this new time of slavery in the land of Babylon. And here's what God says through his prophet Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jeremiah 29, 4, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Notice 
that God said to all the exiles whom I have sent. You weren't taken. I sent you. Build houses and live in them. Of all the things that God could have said, be strong, be courageous, stand firm, resist, go back to Jerusalem, overthrow Babylon. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage and they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city that I have sent you into exile. Seek the welfare of the city in which I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. Time out. God, that's a little much. I'm supposed to be excited and seek the benefit, the welfare, the better for the city that you have placed me in, in exile. I'm a slave again in a land that I did not want to go to. And you want me to wish the best for this city. And now you want me to pray for it on its behalf to you. And then he says, why? For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In the, in the benefit of the city in which you are being exiled to, you will find your benefit. When it go, gets better there, your lives will get better. And this had to be so hard for God's people to hear. How in the world is this part of God's plan? You want me to do what? You want me to pray for this place that I don't want to be in? You want me to pray for leaders that I don't want? You want me to pray for those that are in charge who, who don't even believe in you? You want me to do whatever I have to do for the betterment of this land when this is not the promised land? God, I can't imagine that you would approve of everything that's going on around here, that you would want me to be a part of this. You know, I just can't believe that you wouldn't send me back can't believe you wouldn't come and free us. can't believe you wouldn't lead me into something better. But you're asking me to stay. And I think for many of us in this room, we hate that answer. When God says, stay right where you are. Well, God, but there's still going to be something better than this, right? I mean, you want me to go to something greater. Because back where I was, it was so good. And this is not that great. And so I'm waiting for the better thing to come. And when God says, stay... You and I don't like it. See, sometimes what we do is we reframe these surface reasons that we have, these surface issues as spiritual ones, so that we can do what we want to do without feeling shallow about it. We, we don't really have any good reason of why we hate the thing that we're in, why we dislike this place that we're in. But we try to come up with really spiritual reasons. Well, you know, they're not... Not, I'm, not, I'm not feeling fed here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. That's very spiritual. Well, you know, they don't preach the gospel the way I think the gospel should be preached here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. Not just churches, but we do this in life. We, we spiritualize moments so that we don't feel shallow about the reason why we don't want to be there. And the only reason we really don't want to be there is that it stinks. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. And what I've realized in life, and this is true for me as much as it is true for you, that all of the problems of every place that you have ever complained about 
or every place that you have ever left in a fit over, the only thing that they all have in common is you. And that hurts. And that hurts to think about. That every time we run from one thing to the next because that thing couldn't have been the thing. And that relationship couldn't have been the one. That wasn't God's plan. God had something better for me. God has a better idea for me. God wants to do something more because it was so good back then. I'm sure it's going to be better. And, you know, God has a hope and a future for me. Jeremiah 29, 11, there's a plan. There's a hope. There's a future. He wants to give me my, all my fortune back. God, you have something greater. So where I'm at now couldn't be it. And we, we run from things. We leave things. We don't get connected into things because this couldn't be the thing that God wants us to be a part of. And the problem is, it's not the thing. The problem wasn't the church. The problem wasn't the pastor. The problem wasn't the growth group leader. The problem wasn't the serving. It's me. And we choose not to settle. We choose not to put down roots. See, what we have to do is we have to take these moments and realize that where you are and who you are and when you are, that that is your current reality. And what God is wanting you and I to do is to engage in our current reality, not a reality that hasn't happened yet and not a reality that's past. He wants you and I to engage in the reality in which he has placed us, that you are who you are, where you are for a reason. It's all happening right when God wanted it to happen. And that's hard for us to understand because it's uncomfortable and it doesn't feel right. But what is God ultimately trying to get at here? See, I think that what God's trying to get at is that the life that you and I have been longing for, it's not about finding different soil. It's about just fostering deeper roots. And instead of looking for a new place, instead of thinking the grass is going to be greener, instead of thinking the soil in that place is going to be better, we simply need to put down deeper roots where we are. You don't need to go somewhere else. You don't need to invest yourself in building a meaningful life somewhere else. You need to invest yourself and embrace building a more meaningful life here. But it's hard to wrap our minds around staying in a place when you and I have been so obsessed over leaving it. And it, it would have been so easy. It would have been so easy for Carrie and I to fall into a place when we first moved to Burbank to say, there's no way that this could be it. I mean, look at, the, look at this building. And there's, there's six people sitting in a giant room. How in the world do we plant a church out of this? And we don't, even, we don't know anyone. There's no relationship here. It would have been so easy for us to just stay unsettled where we were and think that this couldn't be it. We'll just kind of get through this season of life, but God has a better plan for us in the future because God has a hope and a plan ahead. And I believe God tells us at some point, I believe what he's saying to the Israelites and I believe it's what he's saying to you and I, that you just have to be all in. I'm asking you to be all in because I know what you don't know. I know that I have plans for you. I know what blessings are coming your way. I know that prosperity will mean something to you. I know that you will never in your wildest dreams imagine how much I could do in you and through you that I am more than capable of doing more abundantly than all you could ever ask or think or even believe. But you just have to trust me. 
You just have to trust me that the place you're in is the place I want you to be in. The place that you are right now is the place that I have placed you. So what do we do? How do we, how do we go all in? How do we have this idea that, that God is wanting us to be in this place? And what are we supposed to do with this? I'm going to give you kind of four thoughts from the verses that we read in 5, 6, and 7. And I'll just tell you ahead of time, for those of you that are the really smart people that, take, that wait till like all four things have been said to take one picture of the screen, um, there is not going to be one picture of all four statements. So if you're like, I'm going to wait till the last one, it's not going to happen. So just, if you're a picture taker, take a picture of each one, okay? They're all separate. So anyway, sorry, just trying to help you out. In verse 5, here's what he says. He says, build houses and live in them. What does that mean to you and I? That means privately decide and publicly declare that you aren't going anywhere. And that rhymes for a reason, so it's easier to understand. (laughs) Privately decide and publicly declare that you aren't going anywhere. Notice, he says, plan to stay. Plan to stay and build houses and live in them. In other words, decide that where you are is where you want to be. That you're not stuck here. You're choosing to be here. And I'm not going to see how it goes day to day. I'm just going to be here. And I'm going to decide that this place that I'm in is the place that God wants me to be in, even if right now I don't fully believe it. I'm going to keep telling myself every day. And I'm going to stop telling the people around me, well, you know, I'm probably not going to be here very long. Well, you know, I mean, probably about a year, maybe six months. I'll, I'll probably be out of here soon. Unpack your life wherever you are. And stop living out of your luggage. Just stop. Unpack the suitcase. Put it away. Put all your clothes in actual drawers. You know, live in the place that you are. And I'll just say this as a kind of a side note as your pastor. Stop telling me how great my church is. Because this isn't my church. This is your church. And if you've decided the South Hills is your church, if this is your place, then when you talk about this place, you can start using the word my. Man, I love my church. I love what we get to do in my church. I love how we get to impact the community in my church. I had breakfast with somebody just the other day, and they were like, man, I love your church. I love how, and they've been a part of this thing. And I'm like, why do you keep saying your church? Why do you, it's not mine. Like, you're a part of this thing. You're right. Like, they just hadn't thought about it. And so I, let me just encourage you. Stop saying your church to everybody else. Start saying my. Own it. It's part of yours. You build houses and you live in them. Why? Because you have to p- privately decide and publicly declare that you are not going anywhere. The rest of verse 5, he says this, to plant gardens and eat their produce. What is he saying? That you have to take responsibility to develop what you need where you are. You have to take responsibility to develop what you need where you are. That it's your responsibility to get out of this place what it is that you want to get out of this place. That you will get out of it what you put into it. That you're not expecting someone else to to plant the garden for you. That you plant the garden. And gardens don't produce overnight. They take time. And you have to put in the work and the effort. And if you can't plant a garden and then walk away from it, or you don't plant a garden and then walk away from it, not tend to it, and then hope that you get something out of it. When you plant a garden, you have to put in the effort. You have to get your hands dirty, and then you actually reap what you have sown. See, planting a garden implies this idea that you're not just sitting around daydreaming about the food somewhere else, 
You're not sitting around thinking about how good it might be if you were to move to this other place or how good it probably is at another church or how great that other relationship probably would be if you would have said yes to the date. If you're not eating well, then you're not gardening well. The grass is not greener, but it could be greener on your side if you worked harder, if you put in the effort. That it's not somebody else's problem, it's your problem. And so if you're sitting at South Hills, if you're sitting in this church and you're like, man, Dave, I just I feel like I'm not getting what I need out of it, then my question to you every time is going to be, then what are you putting into it? What have you put into it? Are you serving? Are you giving? Are you in a growth group? Are you doing something? No, I just kind of show up every you know, once a month. Well, you're probably not going to get anything out of it. And that, I mean, that's just, if that's a decision that you made, then that's fine. But don't, don't have a different expectation. So you have to plant, and you have to eat from what you planted. Verse 6, he says, take wives and have sons and daughters and all of those things. What, what does that mean to us? It means cultivate relational intimacy inside your current community. That where you are, he's telling the Israelites, and this would have been a big deal culturally for them to do. In this culture, I want you to plant yourself. I want you to cultivate relationships inside of the, this other community that you're not familiar with. That you're not better than these people. If you just give them a chance, you may find that they are exactly who and what you need right now. So let me, let me just get really personal. If I haven't already, let me just get there again. Go find a friend. If you've been coming to this church for a little while and you're waiting to be befriended by someone else, go find a friend. If, if you're standing off on the side waiting for somebody to come talk to you and you feel lonely, then go find somebody and start a conversation. And stop using the fact that you're an introvert as an excuse. This isn't a junior high dance. Cross the room and go talk to somebody. Get into a growth group. That's why they're there. It's the easiest thing you'll ever do. Join a serving team, and all of a sudden, you're part of something. And I'll tell you why that's important in a moment. Don't, don't stand on the edge waiting for somebody else to engage you. Invite somebody to do something instead of just waiting for everybody else to invite you. you see, you see we do this all the time. We stand off to the side, and we, we just kind of, well, you know, nobody invites me, so I guess I'll just go home. Well, nobody really wants me to be a part of anything because nobody talks to me, even though I'm standing in the corner facing a wall. Like, like okay, nobody wants to approach you. That's just weird. That's just weird. Go talk to somebody. Engage. It, be involved in relationships. And then in verse 7, the last one, he says this, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you, and pray to the Lord. On its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Meaning, love your city. And yes, it's your city if you live in it. In deeds and in words. We have to practically love our city. Because God's ultimate plan is that you and I have a hope and a future. But it starts with the realization that we have a part to play in that hope and in that future. And what you and I need is to realize that this city is in desperate need of the good news that we have learned. And it's our responsibility to love our city in deeds and in words and in that order. It's why Love the 818 is such a big deal to us as a church. 
It's why my wife leads it, and she, she doesn't have to lead a bunch of other things because she's taken the, the burden of loving our city. It's why we practically do what we do to love the city in which we are in. And I believe God is waiting to just pour out his blessing on his church when we embrace our city, when we pray for our city, when we realize that the welfare of our city is connected to the welfare of our church, that a healthy Burbank will make for a healthy South Hills. See, South Hills Burbank is a church that is committed to blessing this city, but it's not because the people, it's not because of anything other than the people in this church have planted deep roots and they've begun to engage in this city. And what we learned last week is that deep roots provide rich fruit. So making progress really is less about the environment and more about our engagement. That if you want to see something, if you want to feel something, if you want to feel like the place that you live is producing, that there's progress being made, it's less about the place and it's more about your engagement in it. And so let me, let me close and let me wrap up these thoughts. So where do you and I go from here? What, what, what's the purpose of all of this? What, is, what are we trying to do in setting up this series for loving where we live? How do you and I get the most out of life? How do we make sure all of this? Let me give you a recommendation. I think we have to realize that love plays out in very practical action. And we have to love where we live, not where we wish we lived. We have to begin to love the place that we are, not the place that we wish we were, not the place that we hoped we could be. We have to start learning how to love the place that God has placed us in. And see, it's the reason why Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of the only passages in the book of Jeremiah that people remember. Because it's so positive and it's so happy. But these words are spoken in context, meaning that God has a plan for you. God has hope and future for you. But it has a lot to do with how you choose to engage with the people that God has placed you to engage with. So after all the things that God had said in verse 10, he says, and you're going to be there for at least 70 years. And you could imagine how difficult it would be for God's people to receive that. Well, God, I don't want to be here for 70 years. This can't be your plan. But he says, look, you got to, you got to put down roots. You got to engage. You got to stop looking for how good it was back in Jerusalem or how good it's going to be when you finally get out. You got to love where you live the place that you are, connect to that place. See, I firmly believe that you will feel as connected to your community as you are committed to that community. And for some of us, we have committed to South Hills. You serve, you give, you are part of so many things and we would not operate if it was not for you. But for some of us, we're still coming on the weekends and church is just kind of a place a building. It's kind of a, but I believe church needs to become more. And I believe God wants it to become more for you. See, if you're not feeling connected, if you come to this church and you love it and you think it's your church and you don't feel connected, maybe it's because you haven't gone all in yet. See, I think church will always just be a place you can go on the weekend until you allow it to become more than that. 
until it becomes something that you begin to take next steps in and do something about. So you begin to plant your own garden. You begin to work your own garden to produce some fruit. So let me just get really practical. This is why we do volunteer meetings. This is why we talk about next steps all the time. And so for some of us today, your, your next step might be to simply join a serving team. That you've been here, you've been a part of this thing, you love this thing, you're starting to call it your church finally. And your next step is just to start serving somewhere. And I'm going to challenge you to hang out afterwards for a volunteer interest meeting today. Because that's probably the next step that you need to take. And let me tell you why this is so important. Last night I had the privilege of performing a wedding ceremony for someone in our church. She happens to be a third service small group leader with our Kid Nation girls. And probably the greatest moment of the night was Carrie and I were were walking away from taking a bunch of goofy photos in a photo booth with some people from our church. And we were walking away from it. And we looked back. We said, this is what church is all about. That the girl getting married invited all of the third service small group leaders to her wedding. So we're sitting at a table and taking goofy photos with all these people who would never have known each other if they had not decided to start serving and planting deeper roots into a church and building community and doing life with one another. And it was just an absolutely beautiful thing to watch happen and knowing that I had nothing to do with it. It was their decision to start serving. It was their decision to start engaging with other people. It was their decision to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And then they're all sitting there celebrating a huge life moment in one of their friends' lives. And their only connection, their only connection was this church and the fact that they served together. Now, does that mean that you're just going to start getting invited to more weddings? No. (laughs) It means that you're going to get connected into a community. The South Hills is going to become your church. And that you and I are going to get to see the hope and the future and the blessing that God has for this church as we plant deeper roots, as we become more committed, and as we go all in. So let's pray. Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message. We hope that you've been blessed and encouraged by it. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated on all that's happening at South Hills Burbank.